0: This episode of Probably Science is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. For a free trial, visit thegreatcoursesplus.com dot com slash probably. Science.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I am Andy Wood. We got a re- returning it's, it's a returning guest, right? You've been on the show before, it's or have I just so. assumed you've been on the show? I believe so. Comedian, writer, podcaster, co-creator of the LA Podcast Festival.
2: I can't remember either if I've been on the show.
0: (laughs) It's been eight years. It's hard to keep track. Host of
1: comedy film nerds, which I've definitely been on, and I think Andy has as well. So like, yeah, have I just been on your show? Have you been on our show? I'm. Anyway, it's Chris Mancini. Hey, Chris. Great to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks Mm
0: -hmm. for joining us.
1: Also, current Kickstarter.
2: what is it? Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. <laughs> Kickapreneur. Kickstartee. Kickstartor. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes. Graphic
1: novel writer, creator.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Got that. Uh, got that going. That's. Uh, um when do we do plugs? We do you, it now. We right? can
0: start. We can jump right into <laughs> let's just, it. Yeah, let's because just there's a couple, in, yeah. a couple big things happening for you yeah. right now. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. We, um, one of the things I wanted to uh, let you guys know is that I'm working on a new graphic novel. It, we're kickstarting it, called Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master. It's a comedy, uh, action, really fun kind of piece that's got like you know remember that movie Big Trouble in Little China? It's oh yeah, got like kind of like that where it's uh, a fight club fighter Rick and he's kind of a small time crook. That uh, gets mixed up in a battle between good and evil That's been fought since the days of ancient China So he's got all this anger and rage and I always wanted to do a story of like um, what would modern anger and rage look like against um, the backdrop of old philosophies that have been around for many many years and how would those kind of coincide but it also has epic fights it's got monsters, dragons and uh, um, also surly baristas so it's really fun we're trying to get there Uh, we've got a long way to go but I'm doing it with Starbrunst Press the people that do like Rick and Morty and and, uh, Moral Oral so they're going to be publishing it so I'm hoping to get to the goal uh we have till december 10th and it's at kickstarter.com and then if you can just go to rise of the kung fu dragon master you could pledge and there's a lot of cool stuff like the book be on the last comedy film nerd show that we're doing on the 12th a a tour of starburns digital libraries and uh even there's even tiers to like help you make your own comic and
1: And just and just to be clear as well if you don't know what the stakes are here the way kickstarter works if you don't make the target the whole project dies and if you die in Kickstarter, you die in real life. Yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> yes, it's a uh, it's a blood pact with the, <laughs> with the website, and uh, it's similar to opening a monkey's paw. So yeah. uh, that's actually um, true. We have to December that, but we have it's all or nothing. We have to get to that goal. So uh, if you're on the fence, don't hit the uh, the remind me later button. Just go and pledge. Yeah. we would really appreciate it. And
0: we'll link to that in the show notes and at mm-hmm. problems. Yeah, that, that'll you be there. So you can have a look it.
2: at. I'm sure yeah. you have got examples of the the book and everything up there. And absolutely. There's all sorts of artwork and it's uh, stuff from the artist. There's a nice video and uh it kind of describes more and tells more about everybody involved in the book. We've got like an editor from Dark Horse Comics who work with Marvel oh, cool. and DC and uh, you know with Starburns publishing it. There's a lot of really cool stuff. It's not just me, it's a whole kind of team making this, which would be really That's cool. That's
0: great. And you just brought us copies of Long Ago and Far Away. Is yes. this your your past is this is the one you're working is the one you're working on now, <laughs> the second graphic novel you've made or are there more? Yes.
2: This is the second one at, at Kickstarter. This one is made Long Ago and Far Away. It's also published by Starburns Press. That's um at uh, comixology You could get that But it's broken up Into like eight different issues But mm-hmm. that was another uh, Kind of cool fantasy comedy About like a, Kind of like a Narnia story Where a kid who goes Into this uh, fantasy world Saves the day From the evil witch queen But then now he's 30 Runs a comic book store And he's kind of a jerk mm-hmm. And he has to go back In that world With his friends as an adult And it's about how He can kind of Make things worse And can he um, Actually rediscover That childlike wonder That he abandoned Many years ago
1: That's great I'm looking forward um, to reading it. So, yeah, give give your Kickstarter money to that and not to this other thing that just showed up in my feed, which <laughs> is... <laughs> sorry, I just saw this Kickstarter just a second before we started recording. And this has to be utter bullshit, right? Um, I just put it in the top of the show notes. Okay, Vino Novo, helping to change the way the world enjoys wine. A new device that allows one to alter the flavor profile of a bottle of wine in under 10 minutes. Tested and proven. Uh...
0: This is I think i've I've got that here. it's called mustard I mean like, yeah, when, so it can yeah, alter yeah, the hell doesn't, doesn't that de-
2: <laughs> doesn't that defeat the purpose of i don't know wine this feels so. like
1: well this this claims to be able to basically do the same as maturing a bottle of wine in a cellar for years okay. <laughs> in the space of ten minutes using a chamber and an yeah. app to control it, Wow, and it says, and i quote. By using a high-frequency-focused electric field, Vino-Novo mm. mm. triggers an electrochemical reaction that breaks down compounds inside of your bottle of wine.
2: It also feels like it's one of those uh, wristbands that keep away mosquitoes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Kind of there's no there's no possible way this is. It's like a Himalayan salt lamp.
1: <laughs> Ions,
0: you're going to get healthy. Um, this does
1: feel like... like I, am, I am fully ready and willing to be proven wrong on this, and if we have any chemists or uh, or similar in listening to this show right now who can prove me wrong and tell me that Vino Novo is truly based on genuine science and does do what it claims to
0: do. It uses a consumer electronics device designed and built by Faraday Incorporated. You can't just call your company Faraday if it's not a legitimately (laughs) scientifically sound company.
2: I will say this. There's no trickery in my graphic novel Kickstarter. (laughs) Actually, you you pay
1: for a book and you get a book. (laughs)
0: <laughs> There's no app that controls no. the
1: electromagnetic frequency of how of the pages. The book is. Yeah,
0: if you want to change the flavor profile of a graphic novel, is there a way? Yeah, these guys have raised eight grand out of twenty five grand. I don't. We shouldn't be anti-plugging. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> don't go to. <laughs> yeah, Vito Novo. Save
1: your save your Kickstarter money for Chris and his definitely does what it says it'll do yes. pro- right. project.
0: Right. <laughs> So you also have a milestone coming up. You were bringing comedy filmers to a close after we a decade. are
2: after a decade, and you know looking back are like okay, well we did a website, a podcast, a book. A movie and a festival. I think we've gone as far as we can with the with the brand. That is we, a lot. Yeah, we we uh, we're we haven't very proud done a of. What a tour on ice yet? Yes, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> if we could make that work <laughs> before December twelfth, we might figure out a way to do it. Uh, so it's been a great run. It's been a great ride. But it's it's time to kind of move on, and uh, it's bittersweet. We've mm-hmm. had a really good time, but now it's uh, we're going to move on to other things. I'm going to concentrate more on writing. I'm going to go to another company that will be announced. I'll be announcing on the final show on December twelfth, and then. Uh, but I really, really want to do uh, more writing, so I want to concentrate more on graphic like this, novels. And graphic yeah, novel, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so it's then um, Graham. He's going to focus on politics, and it's an election year next year, so I may not even oh, see yeah. him. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, but we're going to still work on other stuff together, like production and other things. We're just kind cool. of sunsetting the podcast. But it's, it was a great run, and we're so happy that you guys could definitely be a part of it especially even yeah, with yeah. the festival and everything so it was, it's been really cool
0: It's you guys are one of the early days podcasts I remember when we started ours it already felt like and that was 2012 it already felt like oh it's just too late everyone's already done <laughs> yeah, we can't uh, we, we, <laughs> no one's gonna have yeah. a successful podcast now uh, yeah. we're past the era of uh it was like two thousand nine when Corolla mm. went from terrestrial to podcasting. Yeah. Like, that's the peak of podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> two thousand nine, obviously. Yeah,
2: it's amazing how there's all these peaks of, of an actual medium. It's like, oh well, you know, we had Avengers Endgame. We shouldn't make movies anymore. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's, that's it. We're we're done.
1: So uh, there's always room
2: for more. Um,
1: let's let's kick off with a couple of quick corrections uh, sure. and comments. Firstly, I think last week's episode we made the statement everyone likes avocados. A few vim <laughs> corrections from various listeners. Turns out, not the
0: case. Yeah. I really didn't
1: know. Steve Vowles finds the taste and texture unpleasant, does not like avocados. Mm-hmm. Um, Emma Locke, Emma says, I don't like avocados. I also don't like or eat any other fruits or vegetables. Good luck however, with that, Emma. However, <laughs> currently free of scurvy, <laughs> says Emma. And then, uh, uh, and then I, th- I think probably the most thorough of answers here, mm. Uh, Devin Henry sent us an email with the subject line "Avocados" and the message "Fuck avocados." <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thank you, Devin We appreciate it. That is straight into the point. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I really wonder if uh if listener Emma Locke could she be the cheesy potatoes lady? Have you ever seen that episode of My Strange Addiction? The woman who's only eating cheesy potatoes her entire life. I don't. Like the I, smell I, of I, vegetable makes gag. But I've heard about it? Okay, Emma. If you are the cheesy potatoes lady, please let us know. Um. Let's. Because- Should we also get to the correction of my podcast appearance last week? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I was just on the Cracked podcast with the wonderful Alex Schmidt, uh, also former Jeopardy, or I guess you stay a Jeopardy champion once you're a Jeopardy champion. Um, which was a yeah, lot of it's
1: fun like, It's like being president Or whatever even, yeah, you, know, you, you, know, you still, still have say to call President Obama Even though he's been Out of office for a few years right. Right. And Jeopardy, you still
2: Jeopardy, get You know, still get man. Secret service uh, agents With you
0: Right So does Alex Ironically yeah um, so <laughs> just, he, really, he really made some enemies On his yeah. TV, right? <laughs> uh, So we talked about a story On that episode of Crack That I think we might have Covered here also About how Um humans, millennials maybe in particular, are growing this like horn protuberance at the back of their skull that people were blaming on the fact that everyone tilts their heads down to stare at their smartphones all day. And um the story may have been a little bit bunk and the people behind the study may have had their reasons as well. So this is uh which listener sent this in? This was thanks to Scott Fulton, who wrote in to say um it was not very well done. Findings are in dispute. In particular, there's a Business Insider article that mentions the fact that, no, we're probably not going to grow horns because of our cell phone use. One of the authors of that study sells posture pillows. <laughs> so that might have been a conflict of interest. So, yes, the story made headlines and uh, people were saying, horns are growing on young, young people's skulls. Phone use is to blame. Research suggests... The academic study on which The post story is based came out in February 2018 in the journal Scientific Reports. It suggested that bony growths called external occipital protuberances, which are found in the middle of the back of the skull above where our neck muscles attach, are popping up more often than expected in people between the ages of 18 and 30. The study authors suggested this protuberance These protuberances might arise because of sustained bad posture, which is associated with the emergence and extensive use of handheld contemporary technologies such as smartphones and tablets. However, experts are taking umbrage at the claim, saying the study leaves much to be desired in terms of data and research methodology. So it's got a number of considerable flaws, says William Harcourt Smith, a physical anthropologist from Lehman College in New York. The way the media are using the word, oh, I like media are. The way the media are using the word horns is appalling. (laughs) David Shahar, the lead author of the study, told Business Insider the term horn came from the media and, quote, doesn't appear in our research. (laughs) But he told the Washington Post, you may say the protuberance looks like a bird's beak, a horn, a hook. Okay, semantics aside, here's why you shouldn't worry about growing bumps in the back of your head.
2: It looks like a bird's beak. That shouldn't worry you. That shouldn't (laughs) worry you. you have something that looks like a bird's beak in the back of your head.
0: I guess because, first of all, these growths aren't anything new. In this February 2018 paper, Shahar and his co-author Mark Sayers referred to the bony growth as, quote, a degenerative musculoskeletal feature.
2: I'm checking my neck right now, by the way.
0: Do you feel it? Yeah, everyone is now. Is that driving or walking around town?
2: Like, well, you know, I don't think I have one, but I'm not sure now.
1: I think I have a bit of a bony protuberance. Yeah.
0: So this degenerative musculoskeletal feature, is a t- that's a term typically associated with deterioration and loss of function, but these protuberances are fairly common among older people and harmless for the most part. Men have it more than women, so much so that this is one of several traits that forensic scientists establish, whether a skeleton belonged to a male or female individual, the anthrop- anthropologist John Hawks wrote in an article. And given that these external occipital protuberances, let's call them EOPs, are present in most people as a very small bump. They considered the bump to be enlarged only if the bump was over 10 millimeters. The duo published three papers about enlarged EOPs which they shortened to e- 10 millimeters e- by the way is OP. one centimeter. That's like That's a good point. Not very much.
2: Mm-mm. To, you'd, you'd barely hang a, a coat hanger on that. <laughs>
1: not a very useful
0: <laughs> yeah. for horn.
1: That's four tenths of an inch for the imperial measurements amongst us.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's not even going to keep your That's car true. keys up there. <laughs>
0: so the
1: paper which is uh, as we all know the main yes, concern yeah it's like what well, well, can
2: I hang my cockies on yeah, yeah this needs to be useful
0: <laughs> I want a useful protuberant protuber, yeah, yeah. protuber. I keep wanting to say protuberance I've said that my whole life I just realized it's protuberance honey where are my keys have you checked your protuberance yes.
2: <laughs> oh I always forget
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah I checked my protuberance of course it's, always it's the, the first always the protuberance you put yeah.
1: <laughs> oh no sorry they were on my protuberance yeah. sorry about that <laughs>
0: So the paper at the center of the recent hubbub analyzed X-ray images taken of 1200 people from the side in order to see the curvature of the neck and the base of the skull. But it turns out these 1200 patients weren't a random representative subset of the population. Rather, the patients had an all had all already been going to a chiropractor for help. What's more, they were all patients from Shahar's own chiropractic clinic in Queensland, Australia. Oh, also once we throw in chiropractic, that's setting off alarms for me. Um, In their February 2018 paper, researchers reported that 35% of the young men and more than 40% of the young women they studied under the age of 30 had one such protuberance, which could be more than an inch in size. Less than 15% uh, of people between the ages of 30 and 50 had the same bony growth they found. The authors seem to suggest these growths could arise because when we look down at our phones, we shift our head's weight from over the spine to the neck muscles, similar to the way pressure from a high-heeled shoe can cause a bone spur in the back of your feet. In a world in which parents are concerned about screen time and app developers use psychological tricks to keep us looking at our smartphones, news that humans are physically changing because of cell phones might not seem far from the realm of possibility. However, Shah- Shahar said he and his colleague have not ever drawn direct links between the presence of EOPs and mobile technology use. I just had so
2: this... an image of like our necks and the protuberances. Like it, what if you... Uh, I guess a way to visualize it is you have a Pez dispenser and you're opening it backwards. I think that's so- <laughs> kind of it. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> like that protuberance, if you cock your head back far enough, yeah. could shoot the yeah, Adam's yeah. apple candy forward. Yeah, so these the study authors suggested Pez the cause...
1: is still a thing, by the way. It must
2: be. It is, yeah. You see the it every once in a while, rest. yeah. It's, um, it's not nearly as popular as it was, but uh, yeah, I see it, you know... It seems
0: like it'd be a good activation kind of thing, a good branding thing to have uh, for, you know, promoting a graphic novel, for yes. instance. Make the,
2: a Pez tier.
0: Yeah, make the hero into a mm-hmm. Pez dispenser. Um, so they said instead we've suggested... a
1: gimmick, by the way. I know we're off topic now, but... Like <laughs> yeah. a, I can't think of... It. It, I mean, listen, for a relatively mediocre suite...
0: Oh it's one mm-hmm. of the worst It's just like yeah. It's just like pixie stick dust Compressed into a Into a little brick Right it's a <laughs> Yeah brick
1: or, of, or like the sort of um, What are the violet ones called Or the, the refreshers It's like it's Yeah It's a very Average candy But somehow managed to come up With this ingenious marketing Of like Of packaging Yeah mm-hmm.
0: And why would it come out of a neck? Like, why would yeah. that even... Out of a mouth would kind of make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, not totally, but, like, there's not even a... Most people don't have holes in their necks. Like, this mm-hmm. is just, like, a tracheotomy... And you just sort of load
1: a new load of them in there like staplers. Yeah. yeah. It was, always, yeah, it was much. always
0: really hard to get them in and not have, like... Because yeah. if you and didn't like crush half line of them, them like, perfectly
2: up... If one, one of them, was off, yeah, it was like thing. dominoes. <laughs>
0: God, I forgot what a bad thing that was. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Candy shouldn't be that complicated.
0: And it doesn't even fit in your pocket that well because the head is bulbous. It's not Mm -hmm. like it fits flat in your pocket. Yeah.
1: Here we go. Just a little history of Pez here. Okay. First marketed as a compressed peppermint sweet in Vienna, Austria in 1927. Mm. Wow. Older than I thought. The name Pez is an abbreviation of uh, Pfefferminz, which is German for peppermint. That's a bad pronunciation, but it's it's the, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, it's a contraction of that. Uh, the original product was a round peppermint lozenge called Pez Drops. Over time, a new manufacturing process evolved in the hard-pressed brick shape you know, today was created. The uh, The product packaging evolved from rat rolls to small tin to hold the mint, similar to the modern Altoids tins. The first dispensers, known as, quote, regulars, were similar in shape to a cigarette lighter and dispensed an adult breath mint marketed as an alternative to
0: tobacco. Oh, I well, can sort of see that logic now, but not the head. There's no head on that yet, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So then, then World War II came along. I mean, there's a whole thing. This re- it required global politics, yeah. and geo. <laughs> geopolitics, to make this happen. The World War II slowed marketing and production. In 1945, manufacturers devised and promoted the Pez box regular. In 1952, Edward House introduced his product to the U.S and Kurt Alina headed Pez's U.S. business. In 1955, the Pez company placed heads on the dispenser and marketed them for children. Mm. Santa Claus and Mickey Mouse were amongst the first characters. Genius.
0: Is that before Disney Walt himself got super litigious and protective of copyright stuff, I'm guessing? I
1: don't know. Well, I'd imagine it was a collaboration.
0: Who who wants to be the first person on board for putting a head on a candy dispenser? Yeah, I don't know. But then again, yeah, over time, Pez has had tons of things that they must have gotten the rights to. Oh, everything. Like, there's a whole Star Wars collection. Yeah.
1: Pixar, Muppets, Wizard of Oz, Looney Tunes, Scooby-Doo, DC Comics, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, Mario, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Simpsons, Pokemon, SpongeBob, DreamWorks, and Angry Birds, and yeah, and all of Disney.
0: Now I want to start a Kickstarter to make... There's no way they could have patented the the... dispensing technology right couldn't you just make your own Pez dispensers
2: well we haven't really seen any competitors that's what I'm saying let's get in the Pez game <laughs> yeah,
0: well, like if I if I make if something that had has the same mildly form factor superior candy
2: mm-hmm. yeah that just tasted better oh shit
0: yeah get better candy and a better dispenser how mm-hmm. hard can it be oh man there's something to this yeah. alright I've said it it's been yeah. time stamped on this podcast yeah. I now have the rights to yeah call it candy throat <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, make them, hor- make them horror-themed. Yeah. yeah like, like, uh, Walking Dead style stuff. Oh, I wasn't yeah. thinking
1: through like that. <laughs> You know, like a cool dude who comes marshmallows. <laughs> every time you squeeze him.
0: Oh, man. If you have any people who know how to manufacture plastics... Oh, this is perfect for 3D printing. You've got a 3D yeah. printer prototype. Mm-hmm. Put that in Kickstarter. It's all coming together.
1: Uh, do you want to guess how much the most expensive Pez dispenser ever sold?
0: Um... Should we guess what it is first? Are we gonna get? Is it possible to even guess what the character is?
1: Yeah, the highest verifiable sale. Firstly, it was a private sale of. Do you want to guess who the character was? Well, I'm
2: gonna guess it was probably one of the previous, like the originals, or like, like a Mickey. Mickey. Bingo! Got it in yeah. one.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a Mickey Mouse soft head. Okay. Mickey Mouse soft head, <laughs> which sounds like a sort of uh, a fifties insult. 50s for, insult. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: These Mickey Mouse soft head <laughs> yeah. jabronis. Yeah. Uh, are we supposed to guess how much it went for?
1: Yeah, it's not. It's not that exciting. Well, no,
0: I, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess more than ten thousand, less than hundred thousand.
1: You are already wrong.
0: Oh,
2: twenty
1: five hundred. Uh, split the difference. <laughs> five,
0: between it's 7000 i'm just oh, going to tell that's you <laughs> but
1: then also the most valuable pez dispensers plural are three political donkeys valued at, each valued at over 13000 i guess they haven't sold they're just in someone's private collection they just have been valued at that price just like de- one de- democrat of which, donkey like one what? of which was owned by jfk
0: okay
2: wow <laughs> that's now if it had a camera in it
0: Right, I could have seen. Yeah, <laughs> finally.
1: And then the 2006 eBay sale of a clear 50 space gun for eleven thousand took place. But no according to, vault. and again, I quoted the Wikipedia page, Pez researcher David Welch, Pez researcher, the dispenser was later proven by chemical testing to be a well-made fake.
2: Mm. Carbon dating really uh, yeah. revealed the. Uh, the chicanery
1: on that one. I wonder what.
0: <laughs> just,
1: I wonder what level of qualification a pez researcher David Welch
0: yeah. has reached. Pesologist? Yeah. Is Pes- he a PESometrist? Because he also measuring? It's
1: maybe I've got a PhD and guess what the P stands
2: for. Yeah. <laughs> a pez does. A is that?
0: <laughs> that's amazing. I, I'm kind of surprised that the most expensive one wasn't more. That's not that much money considering how everyone knows about pez. You'd think there'd be some. Yep hardcore fan okay back to bone spurs in our skulls though i just want to fast forward here to the part about the uh conflicting interest conflict of interest from the fact that there's a posture pillow involved um okay yeah here we go shahar and sahir has also said in their paper that there could be many possible explanations for these bumps including poor posture while sitting standing or sleeping <laughs> bike riding using drop hand bars or sleeping supine with a high pillow supines on your back i'm guessing i forgot what that means
2: it means you're going down point, I think is on your back yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: like the skeleton okay. uh shahar may have may have a stake in encouraging the general public uh encouraging the general public up to worry about their posture. He owns a company called doctor Posture, which sells posture correction products the website markets a trademarked one hundred and ninety five dollar thoracic pillow to correct head posture so yeah, questionable questionable study questionable bone skull bone spurry um And also uh, this guy who is a, I forgot what Hawks' qualification was, but John Hawks says, horns aren't made of bone, which is an important distinction. (laughs) (laughs) Horns are made of carrot and the same stuff as fingernails. And we can all learn from that. Yes. So thank you um, once again. What about horns on animals? Those are also like fingernails. Yeah. Like a rhino? Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, There was another correction or another correction as well to something that A couple of people, I know Justin Broad was one of them, sent in this Ohio story about a house in Ohio passing a bill allowing student answers to be scientifically wrong due to religion. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it does look a bit like that. The story is a little more nuanced than that, although it's still dumb and still sucks, but... Yeah, the Student Religious Liberties Act. Under the law, students can't be penalized if their work is scientifically wrong as long as the reasoning is because of their religious belief. Instead, students are graded on substance and relevance. Um, Which repub- should still be a fail. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, firstly, it's it's not a law yet because it has only passed the
2: Stupid House. people.
1: It's <laughs> the only passed the Ohio House. It still has to get to the Senate and then the mm-hmm. governor.
0: Um... But, but I think that the Senate is republican Re- it passed unanimously by a republican vote in the House and the Senate is Re- republican controlled why can't I talk today So it seems like there's a good chance it will pass There
1: right? is a chance Who's the governor of Ohio right now is that oh, also a republican
0: I, I do not know that that's a good question Yeah that's definitely definitely troublesome cause but also like how often is it going to come not that this makes it okay but like is there anything besides evolution when this comes up like you can't do like a calculus you know you can't like not know lopital's rule because you know catholicism you don't believe s- in it. right yeah, yeah. which again yeah, doesn't make it any better it's still awful yeah. it's still a bad bad place to be in 2019
2: yeah separation of church and state that's yeah. not supposed to be it's that counts for the schools too
0: well they're probably thinking that this is separating those two because they probably think that to say you have to believe the truth is
1: <laughs> they have to believe fact and science
2: oh, god it's yeah. impinging upon my religion of believing whatever i want
0: yeah
1: I haven't heard anything you said for the last minute because I've been trying to remember what L'Hopital's rule is.
0: <laughs> I know it involves—I know it involves like doing um, a derivative of a, of a fraction, like two, two, fra- uh, two yep. functions over each other, right? Like if you want to do the derivative of f of x over g of x or something.
1: That is exactly what it is. Yeah. Mm, nice.
0: And uh, what, how do you do it?
1: Uh Oh god, Wikipedia is not good for math stuff. No, no, no. Because it always goes into far too much detail and just has everything in there. Um, rather than that sort of general, I don't want general proof. I just want the basic statement of the
0: of the rule. I just remember that because it's a fun French thing to say. Does it mean hospital?
1: Well, um, well, it's someone's surname. Oh, okay.
0: But is that surname? Hospital? Surname
1: I think does mean hospital. It's certainly spelled the same way.
0: This has been Calculus Corner with Matt, who's still doing research <laughs> to find more. Uh that story was sent in by Justin Broad, who also sent in a very
1: Guillaume Dupital, there we go. Okay, nice. And he looks he looks very early uh like early eighteenth century French. Look at that. that and late seventeenth century. Mm-hmm. No, he's got like, he like Newton's oh, wig. He's got sure. the Newton wig going as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. He looks like a fancy gentleman. What do you think he people does.
0: smelled like back then? you think those wigs were just like really oh, perfuming? I think...
1: I think, if, I
2: if, think their whole bodies were perfumed. Yeah. I think yeah. they'd
1: reek. They would... B.O. combined with perfume? Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone reeked back then.
0: When when did indoor plumbing became, become commonplace? I Very late. This. Like later than that, you think? Oh, fuck yeah. Really? Yeah. You think they went outside... To go to the bathroom, or was it just that it was a, like, a bucket that you would carry out?
1: Or you'd have, like, a tin bathtub and you'd wash. I'm pretty sure they don't have, like, a central boiler.
0: No, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i talking about uh, relieving yourself, primarily. Oh. <laughs> well, <While> Matt, <laughs> Matt looks up that. Yeah. We've got another poo story, which is very on-brand for us, set Your, by Justin Broad. Indoor,
1: indoor toilets. <laughs> <laughs> What was the Until first one? Until 1840, indoor plumbing could only be found in the homes of the rich and the better off. Oh, but yeah, wow. also I know, like, oh, well, he I looks like he was—he
2: who... looks like he was rich and better off. Yeah, that week, definitely. but that was the 1800s. Yeah. This is
1: like late 16, early 1700s that oh, this guy wow. was around. Okay. Okay, but. King Minos of Crete had the first flushing water closet recorded in history, Hmm. and that was over 2,800 years ago. Wow! A toilet was discovered in the tomb of a Chinese king of the Western Han Dynasty that dates back to somewhere between 206 BC to 24 AD. The ancient Romans had a system of sewers. They built simple houses or latrines directly over the running waters of the sewers that poured into the Tiber River. Chamber pots were used during the Middle Ages, which Mm -hmm. is basically a pot that you shit in and chuck mm-hmm. it out the window mm-hmm. uh yeah it's weird prayer. how
2: it's weird how the plague spread for to, <laughs> who would have thought that to, yeah <laughs> uh a uh in
1: 1596 a flush toilet was invented and built for queen elizabeth I by her godson sir john harrington that's pretty early but also that's some good god yeah. <laughs> yeah, there <it> is
2: <laughs>
0: just trying to get brownie points for christmas <laughs> <Yeah>. literally <laughs> it's- Literally brownie points. Speaking uh, of poo, oh, sorry, is there more history before we get into there's this? There's
1: loads more, but this is not,
0: this is not
2: toilet. And the problem is, if that doesn't work, there's only one person she's going to call. You know, if that
0: toilet... <laughs> right, yeah. You made yourself the, the mm-hmm. toilet servant of the mm-hmm. queen forever.
1: Modern toilet design started around the, 19th, around the early
0: 1900s. That's not that long ago. No. Nope. Man, that's... We are lucky. But I mean, we're not lucky in a lot of ways, but we're lucky to be alive <laughs> in, in some ways.
1: But as early as the 1800s that you started to get indoor plumbing. Okay. And some in in fancier places like expensive
0: hotels. So we've gone from calculus corner to poo corner. Not the good winny kind. Uh, mm-hmm. So Justin Broad said in this story, scientists developed slippery toilet coating to stop poo from sticking. A spray on surface could prevent bacteria building up and reduce household water use. So the toilet toilet brush need never leave its holder again. Scientists have created a super slippery coating that helps usher excrement on its way without leaving traces behind. The spray-on coating, which is slipperier than Teflon, reduces adhesion of even tenacious feces. Oh my god. (laughs) Great turn of phrase. By up to 90%, tests suggest. So far less water is needed to flush away and leave the toilet clean. Researchers at Penn State University believe the coating could slash household water consumption and prevent odors and disease-causing germs from building up in toilets.
2: mentioned it that day at Penn State. So what are we working on today? (laughs) Oh, you're going to love this.
0: You're going to be glad you didn't call in sick. Yeah. So Toxing Wong of Penn State said, I was very happy to see how easily the fecal matter slid off our coated surface. Maybe we should come up with a different word for the article to... Mm -hmm. uh, Wong became interested in soiled toilets in 2015 when researchers at Cranfield University contacted him for help. They were designing a toilet for use in the developing world, but found that odorous waste built up on the toilet bowl surface. My research group was known for developing highly slippery coatings to repel sticky, stubs, sticky, sticky substances. Wong explained. He and his team spent the next few years developing a coating they call a liquid entrenched smooth surface. Uh, it has two parts. The base layer binds to the toilet bowl and has protruding nano hairs each one a billion times thinner than a human hair.
2: Oh, is that is the protruding nano hairs? Is that because you're looking at it's, your device the, yeah, too long? <laughs>
0: this spray has been looking at its phone yeah. too much. So to this, they add a fine coating of silicone oil, which is held in place by the base layer. In all, the coating takes less than five minutes to apply. Having devised the coating, the researchers were keen to learn whether it worked. Oh, God. Okay, so began mm. a series of eye-opening tests. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, this is getting less gross. From being mm-hmm. more gross, it's getting less. For the first, they turned to a South African recipe for synthetic feces and knocked up a batch of different consistencies.
1: Why are the South Africans making
0: synthetic I feces? <laughs> I do remember seeing okay, something... If you want the
1: good fake shit, you got to go, go to, to South, South Africa. Africa. <laughs> yeah. We all know that's where the real stuff is.
0: I do remember seeing some kind of show on the way things are made uh, where they talked to Toilet... toilet scientists or whatever researchers trying to develop you know super flushing toilets and obviously you have to test those somehow and you're not going to want to and they would use uh tofu paste which is like i thought that was the industry standard was you can get something that's anyway not in this mm. case in this case they're using um the south african recipe
1: when they drop it in there do they also have like a kind of a uh, fart machine <laughs> of course <laughs> 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 <To> just right <accuracy. laughs>
0: here to mimic fecal free fall, they dropped samples from a height of forty centimeters onto test plates angled at forty five degrees. Then with help from a fluorescent dye mixed into the material, they measured how much water it took to dislodge the fake feces, I'm sorry, and wow. remove any visible marks. The coated surface took ninety percent less water to clean than glass sheets, the scientists found. That's significant. Uh, next next, the researchers built a rig that dropped real human god. sourced from three anonymous donors (laughs) (laughs) onto a horizontal
2: yeah Yeah. Yeah, they didn't want their name in the study they could have been famous
0: (laughs) <laughs> onto a horizontal plate made of toilet ceramic, Teflon, silicone, or the scientist's coating. Once the falling stuff had settled on the plate, the researchers released the platform so it swung down like a trap door and watched to see what happened. Oh my God. Writing in the journal Nature Sustainability, Wong, who has co-founded a company to sell the coating, describes how all the comparison surfaces de- displayed extreme stickiness while the less coating, oh, I guess they're calling it less, uh, is the brand name, um, appeared one second why did i just lose up uh, here to shed its load cleanly
2: <laughs> no. sorry
0: further tests showed that the scientist coating was better than conventional toilet surfaces at preventing bacteria from all these things and even rainwater from growing in the bowl so while the coating was stable enough to withstand 500 flushes one test that simulated urination found that it might need replenishing after 50 quote urination cycles <laughs>
2: Yeah, so it's something you got to keep reapplying.
0: Yeah, but useful. I mean, that seems like a good thing. If you don't have much water, if you're already in a place that doesn't have a ton of water to use per flush. This mm-hmm. is,
1: but then also, this is when we then find out that the amount of water it takes to make the coating. <laughs> <Right. Yeah.
0: laughs> it's a Faustian bargain. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I guess more than 141 billion liters of fresh water are used to flush toilets For it to make one
2: can? Yes, for <laughs> one,
0: yeah, Exactly. <laughs> or nearly six times the daily water consumption of Africa. Damn. That's a lot of fresh water to waste. So with millions around the world facing severe water scarcity, he hoped that reducing the amount of water used for flushing could help to alleviate the problem. And this, yeah, it seems like a good, again, gross, but um, good for humanity. This is the kind of stuff that Bill Gates is spending all of his time and money on, right? Like it's not glamorous, but like getting potable water to people and, you know, simple, seemingly simple things. And malaria, I guess. Isn't he doing a lot Mm. of malaria stuff? He's helping out with malaria. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff that's, you know, sort of low-hanging fruit to help lives the most. Mm -hmm. And
2: pretty significant problems. We still have with malaria and... uh, And fresh water. Fresh water, yeah. Those seem to have not have gone away, those problems.
0: yeah, yeah. Although we, we did in Australia, we talked with some researchers who were developing, like, ways to make mosquitoes impervious to it. I forgot how it worked now. It's been... To live in six months, and we already forgot how they were genetically engineering mosquitoes to uh, have some kind of malarial resistance. Hey, you know how you could find out more about toilets? Oh, uh, no, tell me more.
1: You could watch Wastewater Disposal and Treatment, which is lecture number nine from the course Everyday Engineering, Understanding the Marvels of Daily Life. One of the many, many thousands of options on offer at the great courses plus.
0: There is nothing they don't have. There really isn't. I'm I intrigued. Just, while Please, we were just discussing more.
1: this, I was like, I fucking I bet there's a great courses plus yeah. course that does dis- that does cover it. It's not the one it's not the one that we've been currently doing. But um yeah, holy shit. It is. It's a uh, it's a a whole uh, course about the uh the workings of the buildings device fascinating buildings devices and public utilities that we use almost every minute of the day. Uh, there's things like your house and engineering system, the building envelope, site design and storm runoff, water treatment and distribution, power generation from coal, renewable sources of electricity.
0: Uh, (laughs) I'm sure if someone wanted to watch that, they would have to spend an arm and a leg, right, Matt? Oh,
1: well, here's the, here's the utterly (laughs) wackadoodle thing about this whole plan (laughs) here, Andy. Uh, the great courses plus just for the one subscription fee allows you access to any of the courses, you can either do ah. a deep dive on one, as we currently are, or you can just, or you can you can scatter yourself around thinly like a dilettante. Well, what if I'm <laughs> what if I'm
0: short on cash right now and I just want to like see what this is like? Well, how would I? Then I'm screwed. Certainly, right? There's no way that I would have a means to watch this.
1: Andy, you you should know this by now, given <laughs> that they've been what they've been our sponsor for quite some time now. But That's a good uh, point.
0: That's a, I should have learned this.
1: You really should, but you can actually get a free trial right now. Thanks to their partnership with us, if you go to the greatcoursespluscom slash probably and you can jump around. What? What,
2: what are some other courses that I could get at uh, well, Great Courses?
1: Well that's crazy that you asked that, Chris, because <laughs> right, they they've got courses that cover every type of discipline, uh, arts, humanities, and of course the sciences. Right now, uh we've been we've been enjoying Professor Sabina I hope it's pronounced Sabina, not Sabina uh, Stanley's um uh field guide to the planets. Which is uh it's a little bit of an astronomy an astronomy based one uh takes you through all of the different uh aspects of our solar system and beyond i um, i'm currently hitting mighty jupiter the ruling gas giant mm-hmm. as it is quite poetically framed uh should we we should probably do a little star story after this it's been oh a while yeah since we had a Definitely. there's a couple of fun ones that have been uh that have been sent in recently but yeah that's that's what we've been doing recently um and it's a very fun course. Yeah, and these but- are
0: all taught at college level and they're very engaging lecturers and they have a great use of the medium in terms of like having visual editions. You know, you can listen to it as basically a podcast, audio only if you want to when you're on the go. Then when you come home, you can start where you left off and watch it on your computer or set top box and it's just, it's great. It's all in one place. It's a it's a free trial if you go to probably. I'm sorry. It's a free trial if you go to thegreatcoursesplus.com/probably. So check it out.
1: Here's my one criticism of the course we've currently been doing is that, um, like, it doesn't specify. It's because there's you know there's a, an episode or a lecture on Mercury and Venus and Earth, uh, and and Mars, but it doesn't really split. Which of the genders lives on which planet, and that's
0: that's an issue. I'm just, I'm just saying
1: that is one minor. There's minor criticism I do in an otherwise excellent that. course, but still, thegreatcoursesplus.com/slash/probably.
0: Yeah, I uh, forgot about that. Was that the '90s when that was a thing? Uh, yeah, <laughs> miner from Mars,
2: Miner <laughs> from Venus. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, that spun off into everything, didn't it?
0: Yeah, it really yeah. I think took that has now been debunked. Mm -hmm. well yeah thanks the curiosity rover i think was the first to find substantial evidence of female presence on mars Mm -hmm. in addition to male
1: let's here's one that just popped up i think it's quite a fun little science story i'm going to put it at the top of the notes here a fun little space story um but a uh scientists believe they have finally tracked down the dead remnant from Supernova 1987A, which is one of their favorite star explosions. I don't know if you even have a favorite. You probably don't.
0: <laughs>
2: I don't. You know what? I like them all equally. <laughs> you like your children.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you can't play favorites with Supernova no. You can't, although
1: people will try. But... Um, astronomers know, knew the object must exist but have always struggled to identify its location because of a shroud of obscuring dust. Now, a UK team thinks that remnants hiding place can be pinpointed from the way it's been heating up that dust. The researchers refer to the area of interest as, quote, the blob. That's the problem. <laughs> These things hide. They're hard to find. You know? Yeah. Sneaky.
0: Sneaky. Blobs. Supernovae.
1: <laughs> it's much hotter, so much hotter than its surroundings. The blob needs some explanation. It really stands out from its neighboring dust clumps, says Professor Haley Gomez from Cardiff University. We think it's being heated by the hot neutron star created in the supernova. When telescopes first spotted the explosion in 1987, it caused huge excitement.
0: We all remember where we were, of course. Oh, of who can forget?
1: Yeah. Sighted in the large. Uh, Magellanic cloud
2: I was checking for bone Protrusions Sure <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you If you spend most of your time Looking up at the stars Which way would you No that would help That would still cause No actually that would That might counteract. Would that the reverse
0: protrusion. the bones yeah. would, you, mm-hmm. would you get a throat spur instead Yeah
1: Yeah that's why astronomers are always hanging their keys off the front of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's
1: <laughs> why so many of the web ties? Yeah. <laughs> <It's just laughs> such embarrassed about their. <laughs> to cover their yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Be proud of that. It shows mm-hmm. even working. Mm-hmm. It's uh
1: Yeah. In fact, if you look at the course that we just uh, we just plugged, yeah. The
0: uh, Dr. Sabina there is the a. Has pr- pr-
1: yeah. That's I I I guess I just assumed that that was just a style thing that had the. She's just got the keys hanging off there for the whole lecture like, <laughs> course,
0: But now I know why that is. I guess I never really Astronomer's also being very forgetful. It's a, it's a mm. two birds, one stone kind of thing.
1: They really do. Um, so, it is some 168,000 light years from Earth. The blast was the nearest, brightest supernova seen in the night sky in 400 years. Damn. As such, it's become the test case for what we think we know about stars when their fuel runs out and they suffer a cataclysmic collapse. Three decades on, astronomers routinely observe supernova 1987A and its, consist- and its constantly developing form. It is a thing of beauty. It has a series of bright rings that represent bands of gas and dust thrown out by the star in its dying phases, which has since been excited by the expanding waves emitted in the end-moment explosion. One of these rings looks like a string of pearls, and it's at the center of this celestial jewelry that the scientists reckon they've now located the star remnant. It should be a dense object comprised entirely of neutron particles and is measuring just a few tens of kilometers across. The thick cloud of dust in which it sits, however, is perhaps 30 times the size of our solar system and That's, this makes the neutron star wow. impossible a big, to see directly.
0: big jump in size between those two things. It that is. is massive.
1: And again, the yeah, solar system, pretty big. Um, we see the recycled light, if you like. The hot, says Professor Gomez, the hot neutron star heats the dust grains as they absorb that energy. Uh... And as they absorb the LNG, they shine at sub-millimeter wavelengths. That's what we detect. The team has been probing the area of interest using data from Europe's now defunct Herschel Space Telescope and the International Atacama Large Millimeter Array in Chile. Uh, by the way, here's, here's the picture of it in case you want to see there. Chris, we'll link to it in the yeah, show notes please. as we always do. But
0: I feel like that there is... There it
1: is. And there's the location of the neutron star. Oh, wow.
0: That is a pretty famous picture, right? The Hubble picture that they lead off the article with? I feel like uh, this is a thing that has made the rounds or been used in, like, the opening credits for science shows from the last 30 years. Am I crazy?
1: I think... I think... I don't know. It it definitely looks
0: like... One of those iconic space photos.
1: What ALMA in particular, that's the Stellis the Array, particular reveals is that the blob also resides in a region deficient in carbon monoxide molecules. The CO is being destroyed presumably in the same heating process that's making the dust shine unfortunately it's difficult to be more descriptive about the neutral star because of its dust shroud but the group expects this just to change with time in maybe 50 to 100 years the dust should clear to reveal the object's true guise just 50 to 100 years so we've all got and wait. We have to out wait. out of
0: 168,000 years it took yeah. the light to get to us that's nothing right yeah
2: you know just for wait for the dust to clear that's it sure Um, What if it was a big pez dispenser? That's
0: probably what they're hiding. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's, uh. Yeah, they never did like a supernova pez dispenser or anything. Why are no pez dispensers (laughs) educational? (laughs)
0: Science.
2: Yeah, there's got to be planet ones at some point.
0: I want like a bacterium that you pull back and get some candy Mm -hmm. out of. You're doing that anyway. That's true. true. Yeah. (laughs) You
1: got a story for us, Andy?
0: Um, I've got a story sent in by Sean Robertson, who has sent some in before. Thank you for doing so, Sean. Um, kind of a downer. We've talked about antibiotic-resistant bacteria a fair amount because everyone should be worried. It's a, it's a problem that will never really go away. It's just going to be a constant arms race that we're in with these tiny guys. Um, so antibiotic-resistant bacteria will kill more people than cancer by 2050. Oh, my God. That is depressing. Unfortunately. Sorry. So, humans have been around for around 300,000 years, and University of Texas San Antonio microbiology professor Carl Close wants people to understand that, while that's impressive, bacteria have been alive for more than 4 billion years and are more evolutionarily advanced. That seems a little uh, bacteria-centric, but okay. <laughs> uh, at the San Antonio Botanical Garden on Tuesday, Close told a crowd... Yeah, what's crowd, the bacteria got on him? Yeah, that's, exactly. <laughs> making these pocket of big bacteria... Yeah. He told a crowd of more than 70 gathered for UTSA's 50th anniversary Scholar Speaker series that bacteria can live anywhere under any condition and there should be more concern for the bacteria that exists among audience members than in the garden itself. Oh, you should be more scared of the superbugs in here than outside, Close said. In fact, there are more bacteria cells in you than human cells of human genes. You are all more bacterial than you are human mic drop yeah i'm out <laughs> closest presentation titled what's bugging us the rise of antibiotic resistant superbugs detailed by creating new drugs and defeating antibiotic resistant bacteria should be a considered a global health arms race a continu- continuation of the tedx san antonio talk he gave in 2013 when he explained how and why antibiotic resistance is a global health problem Uh, According to the CDC, this antibiotic resistance is one of the biggest public health challenges of our time, with at least 2 million people in the U.S. diagnosed with infections from that every year. Of those infected, at least 23,000 people will die, or die, according to the CDC. By 2050, it's estimated that antimicrobial resistance will kill about 1 million people in the U.S. Does that mean in total, or in that year, 2050? Either way. Bad. Yeah. Million dead. Not great either way. Yes. More people will die because of antibiotic-resistant bacteria than cancer in the coming years. That's because bacteria have evolved in a lot of simple and effective ways to prevent being killed by antibiotics, including picking up genes from their surroundings when bacteria die, or through bacterial conjugation, akin to sexual reproduction. Most people think of other living organisms being like humans, and if you think like that, then it doesn't make sense how bacteria could become so resistant so quickly. Noting that bacteria's longevity stems from its ability to take what it wants from its surroundings and its ability to rally against what it doesn't need. So when you see a bacteria evolving rapidly, knowing they're going to be killed by antibiotics, you can really see how they have remained strong against evolutionary pressure. They've managed to remain resistant, and we have to accept that to learn from that and combat it. There was a great... um, Not to throw someone over to a different podcast, but if you want an even better deep dive into this, um, there was a scientist who specializes in this who was on Sam Harris's podcast, and it just really drove home the fact that I think... We're so used to thinking of diseases as, like, oh, it's a race for a cure. You're going to find this mm-hmm. one magic thing, then we will have defeated that. But there's literally not a thing that could pop, Not even, that doesn't exist. It could not exist. Like, there's never going to be a time when this is a thing that we've beaten. We're always going to have to be making new antibiotics because the ones we have have now been rendered useless. So it's really, like... Multi-tiered thing. It's like we have to be constantly vigilant—not us in particular, but researchers. But then also, we have to not use them too much so that we don't go through them as well, quickly. We and- have to
2: be constantly vigilant too. Just wash your hands.
0: That too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's sort of terrifying, and I guess not the best thing when you don't have a lot of like takeaways for the average person. Besides, you know, if you think you can get by without antibiotics don't take them <laughs> or if you do take them finish the full course you're given yes to Has help that everybody been slightly else? debunked oh has it okay yeah well, i
1: thought that's that's now know? not
0: finishing the full course doesn't matter as much yeah <laughs> oh, fuck, <no. laughs> and Then matt's going back on a deep dive what
2: was the uh what was the gist of that where it doesn't you only need half the course or
0: I think the gist of thinking that it's bad not to finish the course is if you don't completely kill what's in you then they'll
2: reproduce
0: and maybe then have some resistance to what they almost died from but didn't die from i'm not sure
1: yeah i think yeah basically the idea the theory <laughs> is kind of like like if you're gonna go in with your army and destroy a village you can't leave any survivors because right. that survivor <laughs> is just gonna grow grow stronger and take revenge
0: they're gonna be what's the mm-hmm. word for insurgents uh, yeah
1: exactly just mm-hmm. to put it in kind of rambo terms Sure, <laughs> but
0: to put it in mortal combat terms finish him
1: mm-hmm. so so yeah i think we did even cover this story this when it came out like about two and a half years ago telling patients to stop antibiotics when they feel better may be preferable to instructing them to finish the course hmm Uh, Martin Llewellyn, a professor of infectious diseases at Brighton and Sussex Medical School, and colleagues claim you don't need to... Yeah, the theory is that taking too few tablets will allow the bacteria causing the disease to mutate and become resistant. Uh, But the experts say the, the idea that stopping antibiotic treatment early encourages antibiotic resistance is not supported by evidence, while taking antibiotics for longer than necessary increases the risk of resistance.
0: Interesting.
1: There are some diseases where the bug can become resistant if the drugs are not taken for long enough. The most obvious example is tuberculosis. But most of the bacteria that cause people to become ill are found on everybody's hands in the community, causing no harm, such as E. coli and Staphylococcus aureus. Aureus. Uh, People fall ill only when the bug gets into the bloodstream or the gut. The longer such bacteria are exposed to antibiotics, the more likely it is that the resistance will develop. The experts say there's been too little research into the ideal length of a course of antibiotics, which also varies uh, from individual to to another, depending in part on what antibiotics they've taken in the past. In a hospital, patients can be tested to work out when to stop the drugs. Outside a hospital, when repeated testing may not be feasible, patients may be best advised to stop treatment when they feel better. Which okay. is in direct conservation. Contra- oh, wow. Yeah, everything, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah then Forget every- everything I said. <laughs> yeah, then everything that, uh, that doctors told me, too. You know, that I always finished the antibiotic, finished yeah. the bottle. I've yeah. always heard that.
1: Yeah. Other experts in infectious diseases back the group. I've always thought it'd be illogical to say that stopping antibiotics treatment early promotes the emergence of drug resistant organisms, says, says Peter Openshaw, who's president of the British Society for Immunology. This brief but authoritative review supports the idea that antibiotics may be used more sparingly, pointing out that the evidence for a long duration of therapy is at best tenuous. Far from being irresponsible, shortening the duration of a course might make antibiotic resistance less likely. And then also, Professor Harold Lambert, who is a highly esteemed British authority, according to this article, made the same point in an article in The Lancet entitled, Don't Keep Taking the Tablets, Uh, 20 years ago, 1999. Okay. It remains astonishing that apart from some specific infections and conditions, we still don't know more about optimum duration of courses or indeed doses in many conditions. Yeah, this dogma has been pervasive and persistent.
2: Mm.
0: So I take back what I said. This article, the one I was reading about how terrified we should be, comes with no actionable information. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Just be scared. Scientists keep mm-hmm. working, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, you're a parent. Do you, uh, Are you like wary of how sick do your kids have to be before you'll take them... To the doctor or hospital, or try to get to antibiotics.
2: Oh, if I hear a sniffle, I think <laughs> no. It's a, um, generally it's you know a couple of days. I mean, the main um, litmus test is the fever. Okay. Like especially with kids, like you really got to watch the fever. If The fever spikes, you got to take them in right away.
0: That's not a thing uh, you should ever let run its course. No. Fever. Oh, no. I think our, my parents never. it uh-huh. was just like whatever well, we have. Well, hang on. Just... You
1: said if it spikes, like if they have.
2: If it's like a low grade, like, you know, 99, 100, it's not a big deal. But if it goes to like 102, 103, that's when you call. And then the doctor kind of decides after hearing the symptoms, bring him in or uh, wait another day or two.
0: Yeah, I think the first time I heard about antibiotics was when I was already like well out of high school. I, I don't think I don't remember a time when a sickness resulted in any of us getting taken to the doctor or hospital It was purely just like. Well, accidents just getting stitches and
2: things. oh yeah so you so you were you had a pretty good immune system then i so. mean no i
0: just think we would whenever we would get sick it was just like oh it'll run its course like whatever mm-hmm. it was i don't i'm just trying to picture a time when a colder flu landed me at the doctor or hospital and i'm not trying to say you should do that i uh, that was one extreme i guess yeah it worked out <laughs> but um
2: well it's uh you know no, it's, it's interesting like it, different things require different treatments like if it's a flu You know, the antibiotics aren't going to do anything if it's a viral infection, but if it's, you know, if it's bacterial, you know, that's, and if it's serious, you could, the antibiotics will help. But if it's resistant, then all of a sudden you have to switch antibiotics. So not only have you um, had to take an antibiotic, you've managed to have to take maybe possibly two, maybe more just to figure out which one the bacteria isn't resistant to.
0: And now I'm remembering, I'm sorry, I used to get ear infections a lot when I was a really little kid. So they must have done something I must have had drops put in my ear for that or something. Is that that's the thing kids get a lot, right?
2: Yeah, and it's uh, it depends how bad it is. Like if it's a viral infection, they kind of let it run. But if it's um, with the fever and an ear infection and a cold, they usually prescribe some yeah, antibiotics. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, oh, then, speaking of,
1: and then which one do you like? Bury something in the garden that's like
0: <laughs> <laughs> you take off, cut off tie some- it with twine. Yeah. <laughs> cut some fur off of a dog and put yeah. it on the. There's a great exhibit at... uh, Have you guys been to the Jurassic Museum of Technology? Mm -mm. Or heard of it? Yeah, it's great.
2: I was too busy burning my mandrake root.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I just went for the first time like a month or two ago. It's this museum of...
1: Oh, I I have frequently advised visitors uh, to LA to visit. Yeah, the Museum of Jurassic Technology. It's kind of like... um, Cover
0: City? Yeah,
1: it's down that way.
0: Yeah. How would you describe it?
1: I would describe it as a collection of curios and idea and artifacts and ideas. And I would say nothing more than that. We shouldn't
0: dime them out too hard. Like, yeah, it's, it's not like a celebration of pseudoscience, but there are definitely things. Everything there is presented in museum format. Mm -hmm. So nothing is tongue in cheek. You know, there was a whole exhibit when I was there this last time that was dedicated to, Old time remedies like the, you know, the reason you say hair of the dog for drinking in the morning Mm -hmm. is like if you got bit by a dog, the only way to cure that was to cut off some of the hair of that dog and put that on the wound. So stuff like that as a whole room full of those Mm -hmm. kinds of, yeah, bury something in the yard for Mm -hmm. now. I can't remember any of the specifics anymore, but like it's a very weird place. And the person who will sell you your ticket is always a character (laughs) and I think there's no photography allowed inside it's super dark
2: oh that sounds great I can't believe I haven't been there yet
0: oh yeah anytime you have a visitor and you want to take them to a uniquely LA thing the Mm -hmm. Jurassic Museum of Technology well worth the eight bucks maybe yeah Mm -hmm. and it's surprisingly big like I think I spent a couple hours in there
1: it's uh well while we are talking about weird things just put another thing at the top there because it was just from the sidebar in this new scientist article pigeons with broken wings get patched up with a dog and sheep bones is that good i think so birds with broken wings can fly again how is that not good after their fractured bones are held in place using lightweight pins whittled down from dog or sheep bones both wild and pet birds can fracture the delicate bones in their wings and legs Vets can use metal pins to fix the injuries, but the extra weight can unbalance the bird and make taking off, flying, and landing difficult. Because of this, the bird must undergo a second surgery once the bone has healed to remove the metal pin. Uh,
2: and, well, we all know, no bird wants a second surgery. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, the less the better, because that's all time off work. Yes, exactly. You know, delivering letters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh the... <laughs> uh, so Deghani Nazvani great name mm-hmm. at the Shiraz University in Iran and his colleagues tested an alternative 3 centimeter long pins made from sheep or dog bones they gave 40 domestic pigeons that had a fractured bone in the wing one of 4 treatments one group was given no treatment and left to heal naturally a second group received a stand-less, standard stainless steel pin to hold the broken bones together in the correct healthy position the other two receive pins made from either sheep or dog bones. All right. I need 40 pigeons in here with broken
2: wings. I don't care how you get them. I don't want to know. Just they need to be here by tomorrow.
1: I, uh, my cousin's got a lot of, uh, broken wing pigeons that he. You're
0: trying to find someone who would do it. I heard you paint houses. Yeah. <laughs> I could take care of your pigeons for you.
1: Uh,. Alright we had a little setback Because at first we didn't know you really meant pigeons (laughs) (laughs) So we might have done some
0: things (laughs) To be fair all of these pigeons were in debt That was of their own creation They should have known (laughs) not to
2: We didn't force anybody Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: (laughs) The metal pins weighed on average one gram Whereas the bone pins were only half as heavy
0: It's a tiny pin
1: It's a little pin the team took radiographic images of the bones healing and monitored the bird's behavior every two weeks over the next 32 weeks. By See the end if they
2: kept gambling or they were okay. Yeah. To the Just behaviors. one learned its lesson. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, by the end of this period, the pigeons that received pins made from the bone could fly as well as before the fracture. In contrast, the ones with metal pins were unbalanced when they flew, probably because of the heavier weight, and the ones that received no pins could not fly at all. Mm. None of the bone implants were rejected by the pigeons' bodies? That's interesting. Yeah. And the radiographic images show that the bone pins were being naturally absorbed by the body. There's no oh, okay. need for the implants to be removed, says Nesvani, because they will ultimately be absorbed by the body. Therefore, the implants can be used for wild birds, such as eagles, owls, and seagulls. But that's it. Yeah, <laughs> the, the <Just> three times in a while.
0: Just the eagles who don't know when to walk away from the crab's table. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the researchers have now begun using this technique on birds in their clinic and are trialing new types of bone grafts.
0: Is this? Um, I, I guess I I don't know if I should know this or not, but like, can you get when you get like pig? If you get, like, a pig heart or whatever, you can get pig parts, right? Humans get some yes. pig parts from transplantation. Do you need to have immune suppressants for those, or are, does your body just, like, incorporate those without any problem? Um, I don't know why I'm asking you guys as if you've had... You guys have pig parts? Yeah. <laughs> you guys got pig parts here. Some of you got pig parts. Is this, I'm wondering if it's unique to birds or not. Matt's, Matt's on it. He's on the I, case.
2: You know, I, I, as we're talking, I was just imagining a pigeon with bat wings.
0: Oh, so I yeah. think I'm like, well,
2: you know, if it, why stop at one pin? You know, just to replace it with a whole wing. It's a
0: pretty badass pigeon. Mm-hmm. Like a multicolor, like one of those yeah. um, BMW X6s. let kind of have like a pigeon bat combo look, yeah, right? Yes. Yeah. white and black. I can't believe that the one gram, no, half gram diff, diff, difference between their two wings would have them fly unbalanced. That's such a tiny amount. Oh, they're pretty small as a pigeon. I guess, yeah. Uh, were you looking up whether pig stuff is... Yeah. <laughs> your body wants to reject pig stuff? It's not heart...
1: So, pig organs could potentially be engineered to be better matches for recipients, oh. which may reduce the likelihood that the recipient's immune system rejects the organ. Heart valves from pigs have already been successfully transplanted into patients. Organ rejection is currently a serious risk, and people who receive an organ transplant may take must take potent drugs that suppress their immune system to prevent rejection. Uh, but the drugs which are powerful and taken for a person's entire life also increases their odds of health problems like infections or heart disease.
2: And also potent drugs to uh, decrease the knowledge that they're getting a pig part in their body. Yeah. So, just don't worry about it. No, but that, that came from a butcher shop. Don't
0: worry about it. It's working, isn't it? It's working. It's it? Yeah. It's working. Mm.
1: yeah, I think the idea is that you can actually, because you're not just relying on someone who's had a car crash and hasn't damaged their kidney like you can engineer yeah. Yeah. this from the start you can genetically engineer the pigs potentially to produce okay organs that are less likely to cause rejection wow i can't
0: see any ethical concerns from any of our listeners no, about that's... that making pigs to be our organ what, banks
1: what could go wrong yeah uh, it looks like Brazil maybe are amongst the pioneers of this treatment, according to this article. Who knew?
0: I feel like Brazil's a pretty big surgery, like uh, medic, medical tourism destination to begin <laughs> with, right? If, if only for plastic surgery.
1: Yeah, there are there are also three uh, D printing techniques that may be in oh, development.
0: We always like that. Mm. And Have you guys had any listeners send in three D printed things, Chris? Or is that just a thing that's unique to a science podcast?
2: I think that's unique to a science podcast. We we haven't gotten that at all. I'll show yeah, you
0: some of the really stuff
1: we've gotten. It's pretty cool. It's very cool. It's very cool. I do again, I love our listeners. I suspect you have a pretty damn cool listenership as well isn't it from comedy films. Absolutely.
2: Though. And we're noticing too like as we're wrapping things up a lot of them that are emailed like they've been with us like the entire time like uh, you know 10 years. That's awesome. And uh, it's really cool to hear the Oh uh, whoops
0: the, is there sorry go ahead yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> just it's as really you cool start, to like the, uh, as, as <laughs> just waxing
1: lyrical yeah. about it, fair, just, suddenly like, you got like sort of <laughs> inspirational cool. I, yeah. reality show music uh,
2: so so that, that's been really cool just to get the emails and the um, you know the tweets like hey sorry here you guys are going I've been with you then. It. it's helped me through some hard times and uh, looking forward to what you guys are doing next
0: that's awesome mm-hmm. oh, by the way yeah let, speaking of movies have you <laughs> I've already talked about this too much in the podcast or let's just say have you seen anything in particular you want listeners to know is great movie wise and then I'll ask you about a particular movie <laughs> <laughs> Um, you
2: know the one thing that really stuck with me I there was uh, two movies recently I really liked um, Parasite I and, liked Parasite and uh, Joker I actually really liked and Same. um but i also saw so midway so we could talk about that too oh is midway a clunker oh my god is it like pearl harbor level um yeah oh yeah for sure but i i knew that going in so yeah. it didn't surprise me at all but it was like if roland emmerich um you know i, I will say it's his most um historically accurate film yet um, not saying. But, which means that it's about as historically accurate as battleship okay so, <laughs> so. <laughs> But yeah, it was all like, uh, all right. How can I make every explosion look like a video game, and um, make every movie star recite dialogue that was
0: written by a four-year-old? Right. So, oh I'm man. Like, okay,
2: no, I got it. Uh, this is what I expected. But I uh, okay. Is
0: it? It's already in wide release. Oh, it might
2: already be gone already. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it, was it a wasn't. Impressive what impressive
0: cast right, or at least a big cast. If great cast,
2: <laughs> giant budget. You know, great explosions. But at the end of the day, it was a Roland Emmerich movie. So right. that's that's what it
0: was. That is the person behind Independence Day. Yes. Or, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which and, is fun and ridiculous. And, and the day after tomorrow. Oh, I never yeah. saw that. That's the global they're, warming
2: the, one. Yeah, they're about as uh, deep as those films right, for sure. Right. Like and like, how you know? How can you make? you know historical events that happened at world war 2 seem um like light and yeah, <laughs> and yeah. ridiculous and then like i'm like because the, it was the kind of movie like, well, no, these events actually happened. These people were actually real people, but it
1: made everything look fake. Yeah. That's how bad it was. Well, it was very much disliked by J.D. J. Simpkins, who is the editor of Military Times. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can't imagine someone who actually was in the military would dislike that film. Tiggy yeah. Umbridge mm-hmm.
0: with this. Did you see The Irishman?
2: Not yet, no, because oh, okay. I haven't been able to go see it in the theater and it's not out on Netflix yet.
0: Yeah. I I just, I keep looking at reviews trying to find someone else who thinks it's as boring as I, everyone loves it. Everyone (laughs) loves it. I'm just the one who... uh,
2: So you went to the theater to see it?
0: Yeah. Well, I think this came up in the last episode when it seemed like I was name dropping the fact that I was at a Writers Guild screening of it Mm -hmm. with friend of the show, Jordan Morris. So I guess it was an advanced screening, but I'm not trying to brag. I'm just trying to say I sat through three and a half hours and I want that time back. It's three and a half hours? (laughs) Yeah. Like maybe if it had been you know, if he's making it for Netflix anyway, if he made it like a four part thing. A miniseries or something. Might, yeah, like Chernobyl or. Uh,
1: J- J.D. Simkins, sorry to to bounce it back here for a second, but has quoted a couple of real lines from the movie, uh, including um, <clears throat> Let me put a 500 pound bomb right down their goddamn smokestack. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. And, and he is ordering us to charge like the samurai to save our honor
2: god (laughs) yeah it's incredible
0: it's taken from actual recordings from world war ii of course yes
2: and it's uh and you you look at something like that and you go you know that wasn't even the first draft oh right yeah that must have been landed on after yeah these are revisions
0: god
1: (laughs) um i think i want to watch this
0: film now (laughs) (laughs) i forgot it even existed Yeah. yeah um you know i want to before we get to what let's do one last story but first i want to thank some donors because we haven't done that in a few episodes we I, keep i think we really should neglecting that um we will thank the patrons on next week's episode but for now there's a bunch of you who are still donating via paypal which we appreciate you can find that link over at probably com. and donations this week came in from or within the last three weeks came in from sean gordon Orrin harris john clarici lindsey bacon trevor hubbard jacob rochester charles tyler David Geelan, Karen Meeburn, Becky Grady, Bryson Rhodes, Destruction Lane, William Bagley, Jake Swenson, R.L. Capper, Pandora Young, Callum Gleason, and Drew Chapman. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it. Thank
1: that. you. Really appreciate that. Should we do a little suspended animation st- story?
0: I was gonna... Okay, I'll do a very short one after that. Then. What do you yeah. got? Um, this is just like a cool thing since I'm gonna put this out today. This is relevant tonight about uh, how to see the Northern Lights.
1: Oh fuck yeah. yeah! Yeah, and then there's another story I want to say for the Patreon. Okay, bonus mini episode.
0: So yes, if I, if I do put this out today, November 20th, which now I have to because I've said that. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you
2: can't edit that out. No, no. no. Mm.
0: If you've always dreamed of seeing the Northern Lights, but haven't found the time to take the trip to Alaska, Iceland, Norway, or any of the other places the Cosmic light Show occurs, you may finally get the chance to see it right here at home in the U.S. Holy shit! The Aurora Borealis will be visible in parts of the northern U.S. and Canada on Wednesday night due to a minor geomagnetic storm, a space event during which solar energy from the sun penetrates Earth's atmosphere, according to NOAA's Space Weather Prediction Center. The solar event won't have an impact here on Earth, other than impossibly, other than possibly interrupting power grid fluctuations but it'll result in aurora borealis activity and, and the end times and an <laughs> <laughs> end of days sure and a colorful light display in the sky um so yeah the peak those who are living around seattle chicago boston des moines iowa cleveland ohio halifax um obviously alaska people will be good there um wait i'll be on the low visibility end then where's the high visibility end uh, anyhow, so yes, check it out tonight. Peak times are between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern. This is according to University of Alaska, Fairbanks, Geophysical Institute. People living in Canada will obviously have a stronger view of the Northern Lights. High visibility ex- is expected in territories including Inuvik, Yellowknife, Rankin, and Equalute to Juneau, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Thunder Bay, and sept I've been to a Man, bunch of those I places. I've been to one of those places think yeah just Winnipeg um so yeah I've never seen Northern lights I wish I wish Nor I could have
1: I, I need to, I've been, wish we were
0: further north
1: yeah I've been like. in a few places that get them but never at the time that they were on
0: yeah we used to vacation in Canada and my dad would... did you DVR them <laughs> yeah my dad would stay up at night when we were on vacation in Canada as a kid and then in the morning he would tell us he saw the northern lights and we're like Wake us up. Yeah. (laughs) To this day, I think he was lying every time because like, (laughs) we've never, we told you we want to see him. If you see him, come wake us up.
1: It took me years before I ever saw shooting stars. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I just kept missing them. Like, whenever I was somewhere where there was always like, people were like, there was one. And I just look (laughs) up at the, like, just a second too late.
0: Yeah, as long as you're far enough out of town and don't have much light pollution. Didn't we just go through, was it the Leonids recently? I believe so. It was something like that. Yeah, either Leonids or Perseids. When I first moved to Portland, there was a crazy. Display of those, and some of them were so bright and close that you could actually hear them burning up, and you could see the smoke trail they left behind. Oh wow! Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. But you no, could light nothing in cigar LA. Off them. Right <laughs> in LA, you could see one star if you're lucky, just a regular star. Yeah, we do have <laughs> so a much. lot
1: of light pollution. That's well, crazy. you can see quite a lot of stars if you go down to the farmer's market. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Exclusive. Humans placed in suspended animation for the first time. This is a new scientist story again. Okay. Sorry to stick with the one website, but no, no. fuck it. They just keep delivering this week. We'll put links to all of those on in the show notes. Uh, doctors have placed humans in suspended animation as part of a trial in the US that aims to make it possible to fix traumatic injuries that would otherwise cause death. So once again, it is worth stressing, this is not to kind of get them across to the alien colony. This is okay. more to give doctors more time to operate on patients. Uh. So this is short term suspended animation. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Samuel Tisherman at the University of Maryland School of Medicine said it is his his team of medics had placed at least one patient in suspended animation, calling it, quote, a little surreal when they first did it. He wouldn't reveal how many people had survived as a result. <laughs> oh my God. <clears throat> a lot of pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> the, this technique of officially called emergency preservation and resuscitation EPR is being carried out on people who arrive at the University of Maryland Medical Center in Baltimore with an acute trauma such as a gunshot or stab wound and have a, had a cardiac arrest. Their heart will have stopped beating and they will have lost more than half their blood. They are only minutes to operate with a less than 5% chance. There are only minutes to operate with a less than 5% chance they would normally survive so the e p r technique involves rapidly cooling them to around ten to fifteen degrees c that which
0: is which is
1: pretty cool f- cold for a person that's what in the fifties uh, forties late yeah. f- high forties low fifties by replacing all of their blood with ice cold saline all of their blood mm. all of their blood the patient's brain activity almost completely stops. they are then disconnected from the cooling system, and their body, which would otherwise be classified as dead, is moved to the operating theater. The surgical team then has two hours to fix the person's injury before they are warmed up and their heart restarted. Tishman says he hopes to renounce the full results of the trial by the end of next year. At normal body temperature, around 37 degrees C, our cells need a constant supply of oxygen to produce energy. All right, I need 40 people with traumatic injuries. I don't care how you get them. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got it.
0: <laughs> we got a pigeon specialist over here. Just
1: get him in the sack. When our heart stops beating, blood no longer carries oxygen to cells. Without oxygen, our brain can survive only for about five minutes before irreversible damage occurs. However, lowering the temperature of the body and brain slows or stops all of the chemical reactions in our cells, which therefore, as a consequence, need less oxygen. Tishman's plan for the trial was that 10 people who received EPR would be compared with 10 people who would otherwise, who would have been eligible for the treatment, but for the fact that the correct team wasn't in the hospital at the time. The trial was given the go-ahead by the FDA, who made it exempt from needing patient consent as the participants' injuries are likely to be fatal and there is no alternative treatment. The team had discussions with the local community and placed ads in newspapers describing the trial, pointing people to a website where they can opt out. That oh. is a gory thing, isn't it? So you can opt out in advance if you go, like, well, there's a good chance I'm going to be shot and I don't want you trying all your freezy mumbo-jumbo on me. Dark. Would you? You wouldn't opt out, would you? No, I I'd I'd opt the fuck in for this one. I don't know, Chris. Uh, If you're gonna die anyway, you got nothing to lose, right? If you've got a five percent chance of survival by normal techniques, then I think that's that's pretty shoddy odds. And if you do
0: survive with this new technique, what percent chance do you have superpowers once you come back to life? Mm -hmm. Well, you'd
1: have the. I guess you'd be able to freeze stuff with your fingers or eyes, but other than that,
0: yeah, it's a super curse, superpower, super curse. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Be useful for you know, chilling white wine for sure. parties. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> if you don't have access to Lovo Novo's yeah. <laughs> uh, fl- flavor profile altering technology, Oh, was uh, that it? Sorry, yes. no, you no, there is more to the okay. story.
1: I could tell you the origin story for Tisherman. Oh, his interest in trauma research was ignited by an. Wait, early can s- I guess?
0: Go on. Was his uncle shot by no. a, a small-time it, robber? It was.
1: A, it was a stranger. A okay. stranger uh, was st- a young man was stabbed in the heart after an altercation over. Do you want to guess the thing? It was an altercation over. Oh, I just wine. looked at the article. No. It was not wine.
0: Think about uh, can, Pez, Pez Dispenser? Think about 90s kitschy um, sartorial choices. That's, too, that's not specific enough. Uh, <laughs> no, I was just screaming global okay. hypercolor t shirts now. You were, if you're the kind of person who would wear. Uh, if you're Guy Fieri in the 90s and you needed some footwear, what do you think he would.
2: Uh, Crocs.
0: Oh,
1: damn it. No. <laughs> it's bowling shoes. Okay, sure. He was a health. He was a healthy young man just minutes before Then suddenly he was dead We could have saved him if we would had enough time, he said Before rending his hair and shouting at the sky
0: <laughs> Falling this, to his knees, yeah. yeah
1: This led him to start investigating ways In which cooling might allow surgeons More time to do their job Animal studies show that pigs with acute trauma Could be cooled for three hours, stitched up and resuscitated
0: oh, That wow. again is
1: pigs that have had altercations over bowling shoes sure. yeah. We felt it was time to take it to our patients, says Tisherman. Now we're doing it and we're learning a lot as we move forward with the trial. Once we prove it works here, we can expand the utility of this technique to help patients survive that otherwise would not.
0: So what's the two-hour window with I, humans what?
1: I think two hours is just an estimate because it's it, like three hours is what they did for pigs, so I guess they're just being a bit more conservative with the people. Sure. In fact, uh, how long you can extend the time in which someone is in suspended animation isn't clear. When a person's cells are warmed up, they can experience... Uh, reperfusion injuries in which a series of chemical reactions damage the cell. And the longer they're without oxygen, the more damage occurs. It may be possible to give people a cocktail of drugs, says Tishman, to help minimize these injuries and extend the time in which they're suspended. We haven't identified all the causes of reperfusion injuries yet. Tishman described the team's progress on Monday at a symposium at the New York Academy of Sciences. Uh, That's
0: pretty pretty sweet. I mean, uh, again, if it's already... A five percent chance of survival. Why not do some crazy high yeah. tech sci fi stuff?
2: I said, you have, if you have nothing to lose, what why it does
0: not? feel like one of those things that, like, I had that idea years ago. <laughs> yeah, just just freeze saline. them, pause everything. Mm-hmm. The yeah, thing- the, the downside of actually freezing is like the crystal, the water crystals just destroy every cell, right? If you actually get below water's freezing,
1: well, the, so it's not actually going down to freezing temperature though. It's going no, this down- isn't.
0: I know, but if you actually froze, right? Yeah, that's that's why you can't
1: just and you put you saline as well rather than. Which has a lower freezing point too.
0: Oh yeah, good point. And
1: also just has I think use saline because of the osmotic reasons.
0: Oh, so you wouldn't make everything else uh yes.
1: So yeah, sa- saline solution has like approximately the same
0: concentration co- of
1: like electrolytes and solvent or solutes rather as blood What's
0: inside your cells. Mm. Yeah.
1: yeah. So it's so water you neither dehydrate or overhydrate the cells.
0: I I forgot if we've talked about cryogenics on here, but like, are there any companies who are still? Is it all just like rumor that people are doing it, or the,
1: like Walt Disney's head just stored in a No, I, I think that's true. I think Chris, you're a film person. What? I think
2: um it's definitely happening. I think I think people are getting frozen, and it's just, just it's one of those things that no one talks about. <laughs>
1: I mean, people have pledged over eight grand for a dumb piece of shit that zaps your (laughs) (laughs) wife.
2: So, it it, it wouldn't surprise me. And I really think it's the kind of thing, too, that, like, there's competing companies trying to figure it out, like, trying to figure out, like, a freezing apparatus along with a vault that's almost like, all right, we'll we'll seal you up and they'll open you up in 50 years or whatever. So, I think... Absolutely, I think there's there's stuff being worked on, for but, sure.
1: By the way, if it turns out this dumb shit wine zapping thing genuinely does make wine we taste... We have like, to do
0: a whole episode dedicated yeah. to apologizing. I will apologizing. gladly do a full retraction.
1: Yeah. I will advertise their product for free on this show. <laughs> I if do, it turns out I'm wrong. There
0: are some pretty cool um, things related to that on Kickstarter. I I bought... I didn't Kickstarter. It was already like one of the more successful ones. But I bought that um, thing that makes the clear ice balls... Which was kickstarted, because like, if you just freeze... Even if you have a a spherical ice mold, if you freeze water just in that mold, it's going to be cloudy. But these guys develop this thing that's insulated so that it cools evenly and slowly. And you get these perfectly clear ice balls, which is good to put in like whiskey glass and stuff.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because what normally happens when you freeze water is... uh, The various air molecules that are dissolved in the water... Uh, water they it becomes less soluble as it cools down. So the air comes out of solution. So you that's get right. but that's why you get the layer bubbles that cause the cloudiness. cloudiness. How how so the idea this... is to cool it slowly enough that the air can float to the top
0: and that escape must be the water it before it freezes. I was, yeah. I
2: was gonna ask you, how does it work? Is it a certain shape or
0: it's I mean it's just shaped the the spheres are just spherical, but then it's those there are two parts to it. There's an outer case that's just I think it's pretty low tech in terms it's just like styrofoam. But then into that you put this um, silicone mold and I think basically there's enough water below it and insulation outside. Like It's just not going to, it's not going to just, it'll just slowly cool. It takes 24 hours and Mm -hmm. I guess probably cool more evenly from all sides as opposed to just from whichever part is most exposed to the freezer. It looks low tech, I'll show it to you, but it does make pretty awesome...
1: And also, it's worth noting, you've successfully used those like, clear balls to manage to get a fairly hefty number of people trapped in your labyrinth. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure.
0: People are suckers for a fright wig and yeah. <laughs> two little crystals in your hand. Yeah. Did Bowie learn to do that? That was all a finger model, right? Or, uh... It
1: was it was Michael Motion, who is the... Uh...
0: what You know the name of the person the who the did the labyrinth? labyrinth. Yeah.
1: Because he's the guy who invented that type of contact juggling. He's the guy who invented it, and he did. I think Bowie might have learned like a couple little bits of the trick, but most of it, he just did it like, like whose line is it anyway? Style by like shoving his hands through David Bowie's, shoving his hat. Like Bowie had his hands behind his back, and he shoved it through there, and then watched it on a monitor. That's
0: awesome! Wow. Uh, Now I have to watch that movie again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is
0: that on Disney Plus? That
2: wasn't Disney. No, it wasn't Disney. But uh, I have the DVD.
0: Are you doing Disney Plus?
2: Oh, yeah, already. I was all in. I mean, I have two kids. Well, of course, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, w- I would have been in all in anyway, uh, so I totally did. Like, I got the promotion where it's like you buy it for three years in advance, and it was like four bucks a month. Oh, that's great. So I'm like, all right, I'm all in. It's not even launch it. I'm all in. I. Um, it always it makes me laugh when people were surprised that it had a buggy launch. Really? The biggest yeah. streaming service in history? <laughs> with the best, with, collection with the best collection of With the best collection of content ever? That, that was a little buggy for you're yeah. you're your, your surprised. Uh, I was just—I so, was more surprised that they got it back up and working within like a day.
0: Yeah, mine hasn't so. really had. Oh, no, I'm sorry. When I first opened the app, it said it wasn't. Didn't they have a hack
1: as well where they just lost a whole lot of people's logins.
0: Oh, really? I yeah.
1: By the way, other little Michael Motion fact: He was a school friend, and a classmate at school at Mass- Grenfield, Massachusetts High School, and juggling partner initially of Pendulette. Oh. Oh, Penn's a juggler.
0: Yeah. Did you say it's Michael Motion?
1: Yeah, M-O-S-C-H-E-N.
0: Oh, okay. I thought it was a great stage name.
2: Or you're thinking of Animotion?
0: Sure. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, yeah, I think there's, there's like YouTube videos, I'm pretty sure. If I find them, I'll link to it in the show notes as well, where you can see him like behind the scenes. At Labyrinth? Yeah. Where oh. he, he really was just doing it, like sort of doing doing the arms.
2: I, I need to see that for sure. Yeah, if you can get links with that, I'll be, uh, I'll be watching those for sure cuz they weren't in any of the extras on the DVD.
0: Yeah, I miss DVD extras. What happened to all with all these streaming things? Like why aren't they taking advantage of things they've already made for prior releases of movies and adding those on streaming platforms?
2: You I'm really I mean? surprised at that too because it already exists in a lot of yeah. places and yeah. also even when you see like Blu-ray re-releases, sometimes they're stripped down of extras. There's even less on there, so Is it Because
0: they rendered them in in standard def and don't want to like redo them in HD you know I don't I, mean? know. Like, I don't not... know what
2: the reason is because it gives more value and it's something yeah. that you've already made. So I'm not sure like like I'd like to see a lot more of that. Like uh, even on Disney Plus the there's Star Wars stuff, there's like some behind the scenes stuff, but it's stuff that already existed. Yeah. So
0: I was um, speaking of did you watch the McClunky thing? Yes, Obviously. of what course
1: it, what... I did. Yeah.
0: Oh, here's the scene with... Here's here's some footage. Hang on. There's mm-hmm. there's
1: Bowie doing doing a little contact juggling there yeah. and in That's... a second you're going to see there he is, just, like, standing behind his back.
2: <laughs> no way. Oh, my God. I had no idea. That's
0: so cool. Wow. So, I know we got to wrap up, but I'm curious because, you know, a shot first is obviously a big point yes. of contention for yeah, comedy exactly film nerds. Right of course. So, does McClunky change anything? And can you tell our listeners what that means?
2: <laughs> well, it was so odd. Like, uh, I really feel like it was uh, George Lucas leaving, like, a little nerd time bomb at the end. Okay. <laughs> and, like, when it was re-edited. And uh, now... Um, you know, he messed around with like them shooting simultaneously. Then, you know, Hano, Han, of course, always shot first. He was a smuggler. It, it matched his character. And then, uh, when they had like, oh, well, Greeter shot first, they give, you know, like a, it softened him and like, well, he, we didn't want him to shoot first. I'm like, no, no, he should have shot first. He's, yeah, he's a smuggler. A, he's smuggler. It's totally fine. Um, but then we have this new version where Greedo just says something at the end, like McClunky, like in this in the language. And then I talked to Steel Saunders, who does the Steel Wars podcast. Yeah. He's like a Star Wars junkie. I said was well, it just like a nonsense word? He, he told me no, it actually exists in Star Wars canon. Basically, it's like a, an alien version of like fuck you.
0: <laughs> oh, so he's so insulted now. Yeah. It's like it's so that's not self defense, but it's not totally out of. Was, of- there was provocation. Right, right. Yeah, By right.
1: the way, minor correction, he didn't invent contact juggling, it's be the con- some of the concepts have been around for hundreds of years, but but he did massively invent a whole lot of the tricks and brought it up and like popularized it. Mm-hmm. And then stood behind David Bowie sure. doing blindfolds.
2: I had no freaking idea. Really cool. Like, uh, there's that. I, I will say that in the the age of you know non visual you know computer effects, that was seamless. Yeah. You know that I had no idea there was like a vaudeville trick.
0: think of them seeing it though. I, th- I think it did sort of strike me at the time as like that's not how I pictured David Bowie's hands being. That sort of like flute. <laughs> you know, like you just don't think of him as. Yeah. That's great. Well, do you have a? Oh yeah, you you have the um, live show. That your final show is going to be live at Dynasty yes. Typewriter.
2: Dynasty Typewriter on December twelfth, and uh, you guys are invited. We're having all the uh, previous guests on the show. Sweet. If you guys are around, everyone comes on stage, does a little. Um, movie recollection or, like, you know, movie moment, and then uh, we're having a reception afterwards. So tickets That's are awesome. on sale at Dynasty
1: Typewriter for the Sweet. last comedy I think film I'm free show. that night. I will do my best to be down there. Great. Yeah, same.
0: Oh, and I should plug, since this is coming out just in time, uh, LA listeners, if you're bored tomorrow night, the 21st, Thursday, come out to the Virgil at 7.30. Brian Cook and I are doing Guilty Treasure, where we have comedians and musicians come on and sing songs they're embarrassed to love. And we have <laughs> Janet Varney... Josh Androsky, Randy Sklar, and singer-songwriter Mara Conner doing some great, great stuff. We've got a Celine Dion song, Huey Lewis. There's some real gems tomorrow. So 7.30 at the Virgil Do tomorrow, that. November 21st. And
2: once
1: again, Chris, your, your Kickstarter?
2: Yes, the Kickstarter is uh, Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master, a comedy action book. And you don't have to like martial arts to like it. It's more a story of uh, um, action, comedy, and redemption of uh, of a character, but a lot of fun with uh, monsters, dragons, and uh, lots of cool epic fights and it is at Kickstarter right now but only till December 10th so please go there as soon as you can get and, in. and, and uh, Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master you can get the book a lot of great rewards and some extra stuff
1: very cool we Excellent. will link to that of course in the show notes and on property science.com and uh, Patreon people we're going to squeeze out one extra quick story but uh, in the meantime Chris thanks so much for joining us thank you this was great I'm really glad to, to be, be here